light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Good morning, good morning. One more prayer that we could pray is that the dads and the husbands would uh, give their wives some time for a weekend too, you know, you know, you know. Um, good morning, welcome to Living Streams. Thanks for being here. Thanks for uh, joining us. Thanks to everybody online who's sticking with us. It's been a, an interesting journey for us to figure out how to do all of this, but um, the numbers are holding up real strong, so I'm, I'm just so glad that you are making the effort to join us um, and stick with us, and I'd love to, any interaction from you guys in the online world is wonderful, so if you want to send an email that just says, hey, we're here, we are here, we are here, we are here, or whatever, um, send us a little picture of what it looks like for you to do church at home. Um, that would be great, because we do. We care a lot about you and just want to make sure we're connecting as a church, even though we're in trying times. And uh, thanks to everybody who's coming and joining us and also taking this, um, this slowing the spreads seriously. Um, and in case you're wondering, our, our philosophy in all of this is, uh, is just, to, just to, to tread lightly, you know, to keep going forward. Um, but to just, uh, but to take it very seriously and be really respectful. And, and uh, so far, we've been meeting for almost four months now um, in person without anything to report except for goodness. So um, we're not trying to be cocky with that. We're not trying to show off about that. We're just thankful and grateful and continuing to say, Lord, be with us. Lord, guide us. Um, but at the same time, we're, we're, feeling, we're feeling like we really are doing a very safe thing by gathering in the way that we're gathering. Um, and in addition to that, we added this new thing of Wednesday night fam nights. So we had our first one last Wednesday. Anybody come? Yep. And uh, we did. We had a couple hundred people join us here. Um, we had another hundred or so join us online. Again, thank you, onlineers. You're so awesome but you, that you're joining us in that, in that way. Um, but yeah, we all met on this courtyard. We were outside. We spread the tables out as much as possible. We masked up in common areas, but we also got to have this extremely delicious meal um, under these lights in the fall air of Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, we got to meet some people. And uh, we got to get to know some people. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was just a really rich, wonderful time. And then we came into the sanctuary and we focused on evangelism. And again, church, I'm so proud of you guys because a bunch of you showed up for evangelism. Um, I had one friend, yeah, it's awesome. I had one friend jokingly um, say, man, it's, it's amazing that you had all those people show up because um, it was, it's bad enough inviting people to a prayer meeting. <laughs> it's even worse inviting them to an evangelism training, you know, and um, that's not a funny joke, right? We should not be making fun of prayer and evangelism, but it's just a true reality um, for our society, and there's a lot of other things going on, and there's a lot of other topics we could throw out there, and we could probably draw a huge crowd, but we're also not trying to draw super huge crowds right now, so evangelism just seems like this perfect thing that the Lord's calling us to focus on, and uh, I'm just so thankful for how you guys showed up. Um, I want to show you this graphic that I thought was interesting. Um, four kinds of exiles. This is a Barna group. It's basically a research group. Um, they do all these surveys and they try and figure out what's going on and they're really trying to help Christians and help um, churches understand how they're interacting with the world, trying to make sure they're more culturally relevant. Um, but here they're, they're defining Christians. Basically 90% of Americans say they're Christians. 
That's a lot, that's a high percentage, right? I've seen some of those jokers out there, you know, you know, whatever. I've seen some of those jokers right in here too. But anyways, um, they, they define it when they, when they really tried to dive in and figure out what, is, what are they saying when they're Christians. They, they really divided people out into these four categories, those 90%. That there are uh, 22% are prodigals or ex-Christians. So they basically were raised or had some sort of affiliation with Christ and his church, but at this point they're not, but they still are happy to say, yeah, I'm Christian, I, I, I associate with that. Um, then you've got 30% they call nomads, which are people who are unchurched but still kind of say they're Christian because of whatever that might gain them um, or because whatever experience they had at Easter or Christmas, but they're really just kind of not really connected with the church at all or, or Christ even. And then you've got the habitual churchgoers, which call themselves Christians, but basically it's more like a religion. It's more like a routine for them. It's more like a club that they're in um, than actually anything that kind of has deep, deep impact in their life and really um, in that regard. And then you got 10% who are the resilient Christians, the resilient Christians. And these are defined um, as, as people that, that will still join in online at a church even through a pandemic. <laughs> I think there's a lot of resilience in that. These are people who show up um, and continue to love one another and serve one another even when there's so much disruption and maybe even their own worlds are falling apart. These are like the police officer who goes to our church and as I talked to him, especially a few months ago when things were really intense, I said, what's it like down at the precinct? He said, I have never seen such despair. I have never seen, you know, job approval as so low. Like no one wants to be there. No one would ever recommend to anybody to do this job. Well, once we had a little bit of pride and like we're doing something really good, it is gone completely. And I said, well, what's it like for you? He says, it's honestly so awesome because I'm in conversations every day with, with all of these coworkers who are just saying, how come you're not wigging out right now? How come you seem different? And he's able to say, well, Jesus, you know, I've got this hope. Um, I've got this peace that passes understanding. It doesn't quite make sense, but it goes straight to my heart. And uh, it's been this really thing, and that's a, resi that's a resilient Christian. And then I've been spending time with, with all of you, and there's people who, you know, during this pandemic, church kind of changed a whole bunch, but then they just decided, you know what, I'm just going to start gathering with my roommates, and we're just going to do our own little Bible study and care for each other and love each other. And then people in the face of job loss have tried to really keep their head up, keep their head up. God is good. God is good. I know this is going to be okay. It's going to work out. We do have emergency funds, so I'm so thankful for that. I'm not going to, and they've just been holding up, and I watched how hard it was to keep their head up over the months. And then eventually they found a new job. And they're just thankful again. And they see themselves in a better spot. And I just think, how resilient do you have to be to face some of those things? And then we see people who have lost health or lost loved ones, especially their health. And they've been able to just kind of say, okay, Lord, okay, Lord, we're crying out to you. We're leaning into you. We're not going to trust in all these other things. We're trusting in you. And it's been a beautiful thing to watch from where I am sitting and getting to be with you guys and watch the resiliency that is in this church. And we gotta grow. We gotta get more resilient as life goes on. And we gotta be careful we don't fall into some of the, the traps and indifference that our culture would love to see us fall into.
Um, we're going to go into John 14 now, and uh, we're going to hear from Jesus about some resilience and what he wants his disciples to experience and some of the reasons why they can be hopeful no matter what situation happens. John chapter 14, are you ready? Yeah, we're going to read the Bible now. The Bible's been around a long time. The Bible's seen a few pandemics, um, and it's a really great resource for us. So let's go. John chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus, in the last week of his life, his final time with his disciples, he says to them, do not let your hearts be distressed. Jesus, I ask that you would help us right now to hear your voice that was powerful enough to speak the world into existence, that was powerful enough to speak into a tomb and call Lazarus to come out alive, your voice that spoke to the storms on the sea and they were calm. I pray that your voice would speak to our minds and our hearts right now. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And that deep in our souls we would hear it, Lord, and receive it. Instead of letting your hearts be distressed, he says, believe in God. And believe also in me. Instead of putting your confidence in the power of what the storm can do to you, put your confidence in the power of God who can sustain you and bring about even goodness from a storm. Shift your focus. And he says, if um, my father's house has many rooms, if that were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas, one of his followers who'd been with him for three years, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> so how can we know the way? I love Thomas. He's just so like pragmatic, so straight up. And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, Thomas. If you really knew me, you would know the Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Basically, he's saying, Thomas, you do know the way. It's me. It's me. You stick with me, and you're going to get to see all that the Father has planned for you. You continue to follow my way. You continue to walk in what I've taught you, and you will see the revelation of God in your life, from now and forevermore. And then Philip speaks up and he says, okay, you keep talking about the Father. He said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus, probably a little bit hurt, a little frustrated, answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time now, anyone who has seen the Father, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So there's this, there's this challenge right now where Jesus is trying to land the plane, so to speak. He's brought his disciples through so much. As John is writing to us, he's writing this letter to the Greco-Roman world predominantly so that they can believe. And when he says believe, he's saying so that they can trust 
in Jesus. They can put their confidence in Jesus. They can take their confidence out of Rome. They can take their confidence out of whatever resources they have. They can take their confidence out of their own strength, their own mind. They can take their confidence out of being a Roman citizen and what that meant at that day. They could realize that all those things will leave them high and dry in this life and for sure in the life to come. And that they would begin to put their confidence in Jesus like John did, who in John chapter two, he writes about the first time he and his, the disciples really started to believe. And that was because Jesus just turned a whole bunch of water into wine at a, at a, at a wedding. And they thought, wait a second. First of all, this guy seems to say some really cool things, but that, that's a whole nother ball game. And he began to trust that Jesus was more than just a man. And then on and on and on, sign after sign, John gives us seven signs that really helped convince him that Jesus was not just a great teacher, was not just a prophet, but he was Messiah. And now he understood that Messiah is not just someone that God sends, but it's God himself in the flesh. John came to that realization as he's writing this. He's trying to help us learn to put our confidence in Jesus like he put his confidence in Jesus. And there was a lot of debate from John chapter eight after Jesus fed the 5,000 and they tried to make him king by force. There's a lot of debate about Jesus. No one really quite knew what to do with Jesus, according to John. And now, now here Jesus is saying, I know there's a lot of confusion about me, but you guys get it, right? You disciples understand who I am and what I'm doing. And Thomas is like, we don't really know what you're doing. And Phyllis is like, Philip's like, oh, cool, you're going to show us the Father? You're going to show us God? That'd be great. <sighs> and Jesus says, how can you say this? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you come to me, you get it all. Just keep your eyes on me. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more about that. But then in chapter 15, or in verse 15, he says, um, sorry, skip down to verse 18. He's saying that, that basically I'm gonna go. He says, but I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to, sorry, I'm, I messed up. Go back to 15. My bad, my bad. 15 is where we start and then we end right at 17. I put these little marks in my Bible and they're like throwing me off right now. So 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth is his name. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So Jesus has basically kind of had this little time with his disciples where he was like trying to really land the plane and it's just not coming down quite right. And he says, hey, just if you love me, Follow the commandments, and, and, and don't worry, because my Father, when I go, he's going to send another. He's going to send the spirit of truth. He's going to send the advocate, the comforter to you, and he's going to guide you. He's going to teach you. He's going to lead you into all the truth. He goes on in verse 25 to kind of flesh this out a little bit more. He says, all this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, he says again. 
This Holy Spirit, this is a fascinating concept. But the Spirit of God is going to come and no longer just be with you, kind of guiding you, but will be in you, teaching you, leading you, guiding you into all truth. And then you go on in verse 28. And he says, you heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So again, Jesus is in this last kind of moment with his disciples. He's just washed their feet in the chapter before. He's kind of created this intimate moment with them where he's giving them these final instructions, these final teachings, where he himself, I feel like as I read this, is somewhat encouraging himself as he says, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go away, but it's going to be fine. I'm going to come back to you. And, uh, and, and, and you know the way, so just hold on to the way and, and you'll end up where you're supposed to be. And they're saying, we don't know the way. And he's like, I'm the way and I taught you the way. Continue to do things in my way. And, and then you'll get to see the Father. And they're like, show us the Father. And he's like, ah, I, am the fa- I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then he says, but because you're still not getting it, I'm not going to worry because the Spirit's going to come because God's got a plan for that. God wasn't expecting you to get this, so he's going to send the Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, there's this whole plan to lead you into truth, to make sure you end up where you're supposed to be. And then he says, and now the prince of the world is coming, but he has no power over me. But he's coming because uh, you need to see, you need to see that I love the Father. And what he's talking about is the cross that's coming to him. He's talking about the, 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 the devil coming in the, in the temptation in the, in the garden of Gethsemane. He's talking about the devil entering into Judas who's making this deal behind the scenes. He's talking about the, the ugliness of the cross, of the cru- crucifixion, of people that, may, that he made spitting on him, reviling him, mocking him, and killing him. And he's talking about the, the evil of all the weight of all humanity's sin crashing upon him and the full wrath of God upon that sin. He's like, but you need to see that. You need to see what this is all about. And then he's talking about the resurrection where no matter how heavy and strong a blow sin and death gives me, no matter how much power it seems like the devil has over me, boom, up from the grave, boom, No more stain of sin and death at all. It has no power over me. And he's saying he's almost excited. He's glad that they're going to get to see this reality so that when the days ahead come and it seems like sin really is more powerful, when it seems like death really is the end of man's story, we can look back and remember Jesus who said, hey, it's got no power over me. And if you hold on to me, it will have no power over you either. And so in this chapter, what I see is I see Jesus giving us three reasons why we should not let our hearts be troubled. And it's hard these days, right? It's really hard these days. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of disruption. And then there is also some real pain. 
in this year. But Jesus tells us here, there's three reasons why we should not let our heart be troubled. The first one is that he's going to prepare a place for us, and he's coming back to take us there. Now, again, a lot of people think, oh, here we go again, talking about heaven, how that's going to help me right now. And I'll tell you a story. I want to tell you a little story. I was uh, 20 years old once, believe it or not, and uh, I was working at this summer camp, and a bunch of us liked to play basketball, and we were all going to go to this one guy's house because he had a hoop out in his, his driveway. We were going to play basketball, and this is up in Oregon, and uh, so we all go to his house. We spent the night. We woke up the next day, and it was like 100 degrees outside, which I know you're all like, hmm, sounds pretty good because you're from Phoenix. But um, in Oregon, that was a big deal, and we were just dying. We were like, we can't go out there. It's too hot. A couple guys went out there and would just like shoot a little bit, and then they'd be like, oh, and then they were dead. No, they didn't really die. But they came back inside, and they were just like, it's too hot. And we were just so bummed because we were so excited about doing this. And then the, my friend's mom came out and was like, hey, um, you guys know we have a pool. There's like a community pool. Why don't you guys all go swim because it's so hot? And it was just so funny how that, just that thought of being able to go to this pool like changed so much of our mindset and we were like, well, well let's just go play for a little bit and then, and then we could go jump in the pool. And the fact that we, we knew we could go jump in the pool, we ended up playing for like three hours in the heat of the day. Everybody was playing hard. We had a really great time because we knew at any moment we could then just go and jump in this pool and be totally refreshed. And that, that, that's what Jesus is kind of saying here. You need to understand that, that don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't get too down. Even when it's hot, even when it gets messed up, even when you're disrupted, just know that there is coming a day that is not just going to last for a moment, but it's going to last forevermore where there will be total refreshment. Total refreshment. And interestingly enough, so that happened that morning. That day we're driving back. And my little table group on our evangelism Wednesday night, sorry you have to hear the story again. But um, we're driving back and I have this little Nissan pickup truck and it's me and two of my friends and we're driving back. We're headed back to camp. It's one of the first times I've ever going to be on time, so that was cool. Um, but as we're driving back to this camp, which is like way out in the sticks, um, there's a guy hitchhiking. And so I, I, I saw him and, and I felt that thing somewhere in here. It's like, you should give him a ride. And I was like... I don't want to, and then there, I was finally like, all right, fine. So I pulled over, and I was like, hey, jump in the back if you need a ride. We're going up a little ways, and the guy was like, okay, great. So he jumps in the back. We're driving up, and the whole time I just feel like the Lord's just saying, I want you to share me with this guy. Right? It was like right here. I don't know what that part of me is, but it wasn't like my heart. Maybe my heart was too cold, so it couldn't like get, get too far up there, but it was like right here somewhere. It was just like this battle was going on, and I was just like, man, they always make fun of me because I'm late, and this, I'm going to be on time, and, and I don't want to do this. It's going to be awkward. And, and so we get up there, and, and like, it's time to turn off to the camp, and I'm like, and I just keep driving. And we go all the way to the end of the road where this guy's truck is, and his truck's on the other side of the road, and I, I kind of pulled around, and we're, we're getting ready to go back. And he gets out of the truck and comes up to the side, and and I'm like, um, oh, man. And so I roll down my window just like halfway because <laughs> I know this is going to be quick. Um, and I was like, hey, man, you know Jesus? And uh, he was like, well, he's like, well, I, I mean, I just kind of think, you know, life's just what you make it. And you just do your best. And that's kind of all there is. And, and I was like, well, that sounds depressing. 
And uh, I was like, really, that's what you think? And he's like, yeah. And I go, well, let me tell you a story. And I told him about how we played basketball. And we weren't going to play basketball, but because we had the hope of what was to come, that we ended up playing basketball, and, and it was, like, really exciting and really fun. And, uh, and then and I just kind of shared. And then I, was, I wasn't even, like, looking at him. I was just kind of looking over, and I was, like, I was like, you want that hope? And I was just waiting for him to say no so we could go on. And, and he didn't say anything. So I looked over at him, and he, he goes, yeah, I could use some hope. And I was like, okay. What? what? I was like, what? What did you say? And so I, I rolled the window down the rest of the way, and he comes over. I didn't even get out of the truck, which probably would have been a good thing. But um, he comes over, and I was, like, I was like, well, here's the deal. And I just kind of explained a little more fully about what Jesus has done for us. And I was like, would you like to pray and ask God to really come give you that hope? He said, yes. So I said a prayer. He repeated after me. And uh, it was just kind of this kind of cool moment. And the two friends with me are just like, what is happening right now? And then the guy starts walking back. I'm not joking you. The guy starts walking back. And in, that, in, between, in the middle of the street, there's those two yellow lines. And he reaches down and he just kind of like, he's all like stunned. And he reaches down and he grabs this thing and it looks like a piece of gum. It's like just stringing. And he's just going like this, and he starts walking back towards me, holding this thing, and I thought it was gum. And, and I was just like, oh, so he's a crazy person. So that's, that's why this worked, right? But instead, he's walking back, and as he gets closer, I'm seeing this thing start to sparkle. And what it was, it was a gold necklace that had a cross on it with a diamond right in the middle of the cross. And he's walking back to me going, what is this? What is this? And I was like, man... I don't know what that is, but I think you can know that Jesus has visited you today. That God really is paying attention to you. And he's like, take it, take it. I was like, no, man, I'm not taking that. That's yours. You keep that thing, and you know that Jesus really does love you. And he's like, are you guys angels? And I was like, no, 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 no. And then, and then we drove off. And it was this really kind of, I mean, that's the reason I shared it on, on uh in our table talk, because we were supposed to kind of share what's one interact, like time of sharing the gospel that, that went well, and that, that, was the, that was a time where I just, I don't know, I saw the power of God unto salvation in someone's life, and I saw the kindness of God even confirm it for this person in a really neat way. And it was all about that hope of what's next. And it's not, it, as Christians, we shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about our hope in heaven. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, you know, think, oh, we've got to really make it count in this life. That's more important than thinking about heaven. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled because heaven is real. And in fact, heaven is more real than this world that we live in. This world's going to pass away sometime, but heaven's going to be there forever. And we have a wonderful hope. For a Christian, this is as bad as it will ever be. Because heaven is coming. It's here already in bits and pieces, but it's coming more fully and fully every day to the life of a believer. We have a lot of reason to let that be what our hope is instead of our troubled hearts. The second thing he says, that you should not let your hearts be troubled because he's going to send the spirit, the advocate. Now check this out. This is going to take a little work for a service, but you're my favorite service. But you're getting filled up, so I might have to switch to the 11 o'clock service if that stays a little smaller. I like the smaller services because they don't stress me out with the social distancing. Um, but anyways, so here we go. 
This is, uh, this is something that I think is really interesting. I really want you to pay attention to this. Do your best. But basically, the Spirit is coming, and the Spirit is going to be the comforter, is what the kind of best translation is. This NIV chooses advocate, which there's that connotation as well. Spirit of truth, Jesus tries to unpack a little more. John 16 is going to unpack it even more. But comforter, somehow the Spirit is going to comfort you. In the next passage, when we read in chapter 25, he talks about the Spirit being something that brings peace, right? So I like the word comforter. I like that concept. Um, and, and I want to unpack this a little bit more because there's this book I'm reading, The Reappearing Church, <whistles> Renewal, all the things we're hoping for right here um, by Mark Sayers. And in this book, he unpacks this idea that um, Edwin Friedman, who was, a, who was a family systems theorist, got any of those out there? <laughs> and he was a rabbi as well. But he, he's talking about an emotionally regressed society. He's talking about this toxic, the toxicity of anxiety. When a, when a culture or a society is given over to anxiety, what, what emotional regression looks like. And as I was reading it, I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. There's five different things that he sees happening. So I'm going to read these to you. Please try and pay attention as best you can and see if this doesn't help describe a little bit of what we're experiencing. He says, the first thing that a really emotionally regressed or, or, or a society totally overcome with anxiety has is they have reactivity. The vicious cycle created when individuals and culture continually react intensely to external situations with negative, anxious, angry, or fearful emotions. No longer are their inner values, common sense, and dialogue helping people understand what they should do. It's just emotional reactivity. The second thing that happens is a herding happens. As culture becomes reactive, we begin to act in herd-like ways. The mob mentality takes over. Society lowers itself to pleasing and not offending its most emotionally immature and unhealthy members who end up dictating the health of the whole culture. Some of you are like, am I that person? <laughs> you might be. <laughs> I don't know. I might be. At times, for sure I am. Blame displacement. Instead of searching out the underlying causes of toxicity, we focus on symptoms. We retreat into a perpetual victim status, blaming others and external forces instead of examining ourselves. And when blame and fear of offending take over, it creates a gridlock which prevents any kind of renewal. And then it goes to a quick fix mentality. Our culture of hedonism, pleasure at all cost, no pain ever, has created in us a low pain threshold which prevents us from persevering through the pain that is part of the process of renewal. And we look to technology, more commentary, and more information as the cure for our ills. Anybody? Like... I got a couple of people nodding heads. Does this seem like it's pointing in the right direction at all? Okay. Give me something. I'm up here all by myself, you know, like, come on. Onliners, whatever you got to do. I don't know. And then lastly, what happens is then we have a lack of well-differentiated leaders. The anxious environment works against the leadership needed to lead a toxic emotional system renewal to renewal. The inevitable, inevitable backlash, the intensity of the backlash from trying to break free of emotional reactivity, hurting, blame displacement, and quick fix mentalities keeps the kind of leaders and leadership needed to bring about removal from actually being able to come. 
And so fear or anxiety really rules the day and causes a paralysis that we can never really get out of. And it just is this cycle. It's just this cycle. It's this cycle. And it's overwhelming to think about America right now and how we can actually help in that process. Because I just am not hearing many of the leaders of America actually saying anything that I think is in line with the way of Jesus. That is really addressing the root core issues in our systemic structures and all of those things. Greed and pride, deceit, stealing, and lying are so prevalent in all of the institutions in America these days. And I don't hear anyone talking about that. We'll talk about symptoms. And if you do talk about that like I just did, I'm scared to death what's going to happen right now. The backlash, right? It's like when your child rules your home because you're so scared to disappoint him and the temper tantrum he's going to throw. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't be overwhelmed by trying to fix America. I mean, if you're called to politics, God bless you, we'll pray for you. It's, that's awesome and wonderful. I believe that, there, that it's good to be involved in those things, to fight corruption in every way we can. But I think it's way more important that we put our time and energy into our own households, our own souls, the institutions we are a part of, this church, your business, whether you're the leader or not. We can work to making sure that renewal is happening in those places. And if enough of us do it, it might actually sneak out into the rest of the world. Jesus is just talking to some disciples here. But they started an organization that's called the church, and it's the single most dominant force for good in the entire world. doesn't matter what time, age, or um, place on the globe you go. The Spirit is coming, and what is so important is when we have this type of reality, this anxiety, and maybe you feel it in your own soul, you can't get free. What he says, Friedman says, is what you need is you need a non-anxious presence to come into that vicious cycle. You need the insertion of a non-anxious presence that is not moved by the fear of backlash, that is not moved by the external features, but it's almost something that can come in from another place, almost another world, another community, and come in and be a non-anxious presence. That's how you're gonna lead renewal, and that's why we're praying for the Spirit of God to be poured out. Because that's what Jesus is saying, is when you get all that anxiety, my spirit can come as a non-anxious presence. As a differentiated leader, one who's not moved by the masses, and he can lead you on. And that's what we're trying our best to do as a church, that's what I'm trying to do in my family, is allow the non-anxious presence of God to lead and guide me as we go through this. And he always gets it right, I don't. But that's available to all of us, so that's another reason we can not let our hearts be troubled.
we have access to the very spirit of God. No matter how anxious the world gets around us, we always have access to this non-anxious presence. That's why coming to church is so good. That's why gathering at parks like a bunch of viewers just gathering to start praying is so good. That's why you call other moms and you say, hey, let's get together and pray for our kids right now at my house. I've seen you guys do so many cool things, bringing in, ushering in the non-anxious presence of God and the power of his truth. More and more and more. I'm sorry, you're just not going to get it from, from the media. I mean, you just, you really need to, your intake. What's your intake? What are you taking in most right now? Is it the non-anxious presence of God and the power of his truth? Or is it other things? Cultural commentary. More information. It's not going to help you with your anxiety. And lastly, the third thing that he says is down here is the prince of this world is coming, but he has no power over me. He's got no hold over me. Don't let your hearts be troubled because you're going to see. You're going to see the full power of the enemy. You're going to see the full power of sin and death as it pins me to a tree. As it takes the sinless, powerful presence of God and it completely destroys it and buries it in the ground. You're going to see that. You're going to see the full strength of the prince of this world and all that he has. And he is powerful. But then if you just wait, if you wait through Friday night, wait through Saturday, and if you wake up Sunday morning and you run down to the tomb to mourn some more, to grieve some more, to be perplexed some more, you're going to get a shock. You're going to get a surprise. Because you're going to see that the power of the prince of this world has no hold on you. And I'm going to be risen. I'm going to be risen different. Remember, Jesus' resurrection wasn't a resurrection back to the kind of life that we know and experience. It was a resurrection to glorified life. His body wasn't in the tomb, so there was still that, that earthly element to him, but it was something very different because no longer did he live under the curse of sin and death. And what he says to every single one of us that will follow him, that will take his hand, that will invite his non-anxious presence into us, is that there will be a time where we are free forevermore from the stain of sin and death. We have never, ever, ever in our lives, maybe just for brief moments in his presence, felt what it's like to be free from the weight of sin and death. But what he did on the cross makes it possible for everyone if you follow him, if you invite him in. He'll give you tastes here and now. He'll sustain you here and now. But one day he will come back and he will take you to the place that he has made for you. Where you really will be free forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, your truth, 
We thank you that you know what it's like to be full of anxiety. You know what it's like to be in a really troubled world and society. You know what it's like to hurt and have pain. You know what it's like to feel that weight and that power of sin and death and the devil over you. And yet you also know what it's like to not let your heart be troubled. You know what it's like to be resurrected to life everlasting. And you're wanting to lead us there. And I pray, Lord, you would help us. I pray right now that your non-anxious presence, the power of your spirit, would come into each one of us, Lord. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, whether you're online or in person, I'm going to ask you to just raise up your hand if you're saying, I want Jesus to come today. I want his presence to fill me. I'm anxious. I'm scared. I'm confused. I'm hurt. And I need something else. Just raise up your hand as kind of a sign to God that says, I need you to come and save me. I need you to come and rescue me. I need you to come and help me and guide me. Jesus, you see these hands and you know the hearts. Please, please, Lord, not only fill them, but confirm how close you are. And let them never be the same, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And for the rest of us, Lord, we do pray that we would, we would day in and day out, not just one hour a week on Sunday mornings, but day in and day out, we would seek your presence. We would be filled with your presence. And Lord, we would be non-anxious presence in the society that we're living and working in. And you would show us how to stand and make sure our houses, our souls, the institutions we're a part of, our places where renewal can happen. And thank you, Jesus, for your power at work in our lives. Amen. Amen. Will you guys stand as we close in a song? And uh, if you're someone that raised your hand and, and you'd like to tell somebody, you'd like to get a little more prayer, I'll be up here. We'll have some people up on the side. If you're someone that just has something real heavy on your heart and you'd like some prayer, we'd love to pray for you too. But don't, don't miss this opportunity. This is a really rich time. It'd be easy to just go on. And this is a little scary to come up to the front, but I'm telling you, this is important if you're in that place. So as we sing this song, come on forward, and then uh, the team will dismiss us when we're done.